At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to Infertility and Me podcast, a show that amplifies diverse stories about the struggles of infertility and fertility in a safe space. Our goal is to normalize fertility stories that validate, give hope, and create a community where no one is left silently suffering. Welcome, welcome, welcome you guys to another episode of Infertility and Me podcast. I am your host, Monique Farouk, your fertility friend, advocate. Thank you so much for being here. If this is your first time tuning into the show, welcome, welcome, welcome to the shit show that is in fertility. Please be advised, this is an adult program. And make sure you check out the Patreon page and you can support the podcast on a monthly basis for as little as $5 a month on Patreon, where you will get early access to episodes that will be ad-free, as well as private community with other members who have joined and supported the show on Patreon with private group chat. And I thank you guys for all of your support. Make sure you guys are following on Instagram for your fertility related content to keep up with episodes and when they drop, as well as connecting with others in the community through the social sharing of posts and such. So today our guest is named Amanda Manelli. Amanda can be found on Instagram at the underscore elusive underscore egg, where she shares her journey to motherhood through IVF for both of her daughters. Amanda and her husband suffered years of infertility, diminished ovarian reserve diagnosis, and poor egg quality before welcoming their two daughters who were conceived through two separate IVF cycles. Amanda went through unsuccessful IUIs like many of us. So Amanda shares all that with us today in this episode and how she coped with having diminished ovarian reserve with poor egg quality as well. So we'll be back in just a minute, you guys, with Amanda. Alrighty, you guys, we are back with our girl, Amanda Manelli. Thank you, Amanda, dear, for coming onto the show and being a voice for the voices, my dear. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. The pleasure is all, all mine. Just going to start at the beginning, girl. How did you and hubby meet? How did that all go down? Well, it's it's kind of funny. We had the same high school, but we were not high school sweethearts. Um, everybody kind of thinks that, oh, you were high school sweethearts when I say that. But we actually, um, you know, just kind of had a lot of mutual friends. Um, and then we ended up, we connected when we were in college. We went to different colleges and just started talking on AIM. <laughs> I'm dating yes, myself yes. by saying that. But we kind of connected through through there, and then you know the the rest was history. So got married in 2016, and we moved to Lancaster, and we lived there for about eight nine years, and now we are back in our our hometown. So that's been interesting. We we we've, we've kind of made full circle. So 
Yes, I love it. I love it that you guys knew each other in high school. That is so cute. Love that. And then it makes it easier because you guys have a lot in common to talk about and reminisce about. So that's wonderful. I'm so glad things worked out for you guys. After you guys got married in 2016, did you go full swing into trying to conceive or did you guys take some time first? How long had you been married? We actually did not. We took a, about a year. We decided we wanted to take a year and kind of get settled and, and focus on our marriage a little bit. And then after a year is when we started trying. Um, that would have been about 2017. Did you have any previous diagnoses prior to trying to conceive? I did not. I had no reason to believe would it work. I, that's why I gave it the year. Because I thought, oh, no big deal. I'm young-ish. <laughs> I shouldn't have too much of a problem. So yeah, I we gave it a year and then and we started trying. But in retrospect, I, I probably wish we didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, but you know, we live and learn. And then like you said, you didn't have any reason to believe otherwise, right? So was motherhood right. something that you always looked forward to at some point if you found love? Yeah, I always knew I wanted to be a mom. Even when like a, a career, you know, my career path was uncertain and I didn't know what I I always knew I wanted to be a mom, like no matter what. So that was something that was important to me, important to my husband and, and something we knew we both wanted to pursue. Yeah, yeah, I understand. So when you guys did start trying to conceive and what was the point during that time, of course, we get six months to a year, right, before we can get referred. And so during that six months to a year, when did the light bulb go off that something may be going on unforeseen? Oh, I was so naive. I really thought month one, two, three, I thought, okay, like it's going to happen. You know, maybe we just didn't get the timing right. Or I thought for sure it was going to happen the next month and the next month. And then probably like four to five months in, I was like, okay, like, let's get more serious about tracking ovulation. And, you know, I, I downloaded all the apps. I <laughs> started to use ovulation predictors, the sticks. <laughs> and I, I, we started to get more serious. Then around like month six, seven, I was like, uh oh, like, I, I really think that there could potentially be something something wrong. Okay. And I was able to get in with my OB a little bit early to get some of that preliminary testing before moving to a fertility specialist. You know, I voiced some concern. She was very open to, to getting some initial blood work start, which was, was nice. And then that's, that's where I found out I had low AMH. That was kind of the first indicator that something wasn't where it should be. I know it's been a couple of years and you may not be able to recall every little single detail, but walk us through how that felt like when you heard those words that your reserve was quite low for your age. Yeah, I, I never expected, no one I knew, um, this is before getting into the infertility community, so no one I knew personally had ever had that diagnosis or, and that was kind of pre-diagnosis, they were, you know, taking that blood work and then more, I got more blood work done and uh, it came back that my FSH was high, so I probably had poor quality eggs. And that's when I then was referred to uh, a fertility specialist to look further into what they could, what my options were. Um, and that was terrifying because when, when you hear like, what, what are my options? It's like, oh, this isn't going to just happen, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So that's when it really hit me. Sounds like a terminal illness almost sometimes when you, <laughs> in the reproductive, in the chronologist's office or the radiologist's office and you're like going through all, it's like you, you feel like for me, infertility feels like a death sentence almost sometimes because it's so devastating. And how were you, how were you handling it while 
going through all these appointments or were you like keeping yourself busy and things? <laughs> I'd like to say I handled it well, but I, I don't think I, I don't think I did. <laughs> None of us do. I, trust. I continued to work and I'm a school psychologist. Um, so I continue to work and kind of throw myself into that type of thing and read, uh, trying to pursue like self-care type activities and going to the gym and reading books. And I, I think going through all the, the I things. Did, and yeah. I did. And I think mm-hmm. I went down every, every road as far as like any gadget you can buy. I bought some kind of watch that <laughs> I bought essential oils. I was you know, I, I just kind of threw myself into trying to fix, quote unquote, my problem during that time. Um, in my head, I still thought, okay, I can I can kind of turn this around. But again, very yeah. naive there in the beginning of, of what this actually meant for me. Yeah, I think we all kind of go through that naivety at some point, especially in the beginning. And you get your diagnosis. It's like that whole first year is like we we stay in that naivety and thinking that it's going to be, it's going to happen faster than it usually does, or that it's going to go as smooth as we think it does. Because I think when we get the diagnosis, because we have it and we have clarification about what the problem is, I feel like sometimes we think that that's going to make the process easier. And it does from the scientific standpoint, but not the emotional aspect, right? It's just a lot to deal with, a lot to process too. So what was the next step after you had your initial consultation with the RE? Did they go ahead and test again for like almost like a get a second opinion? Did they go with what was found previously? No, they they redid all the blood work, which would have been really nice if everything was, you know, covered by insurance. And and that's such a huge, in Pennsylvania at least, where I'm from, it's not something that's, you know, universally covered. Most insurances, I'm going to venture a guess to say don't cover it. Yeah, we, we got all the blood work and all the tests redone and everything was good there. There were no uterine problems. So that was good. So I got all that preliminary testing done through through that RE and kind of put a plan together of how we were going to move forward. And they did start out with you know, the least invasive and, and we kind of moved, moved from there. Started with Clomid and which... That's a, that is one famous drug. Let me tell you. (laughs) Yeah. That is one famous drug that we all cannot seem to get away from in the beginning. And that just like gives you, that Clomid gives you a taste of what all the other invasive forms of medication is like, because it gives oh. you a hormonal and uh, craziness too, as well as like trigger shots and all that I stuff. Know. I remember that being such a, <laughs> that was like a roller coaster drug. I, I, ooh. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Were you in hubby's thought process going into it after you had all your testing done and they knew exactly what was happening and they started you guys on the IUIs? Were you guys looking forward to the IUIs? Hopeful? I was so hopeful. I, I really thought, okay, like we're seeing a, a reproductive specialist. Of course, this is going to happen. I'll be pregnant next month. <laughs> and then three IUIs later, I still wasn't, I still wasn't pregnant. And I, I started off with, with Clomid and then I did, they, I ended up moving to injectable medications for my IUIs because of my low, low reserve. I really wasn't responding to Clomid at all. You know, I wasn't making follicles. Uh, I was just making one, one follicle, which you want multiple when you're, especially with a low reserve and, and poor quality eggs, they wanted to see more. 
So I did move to the injectables pretty quickly. And then we did the three rounds of the IUI with the injectable medications and still were not successful. Where did you guys go from there? Did you jump right into IVF or did you give it some time first? Late 2018, we kind of reassessed things. I had my last The last IUI I had that failed, they left a message for me on my cell phone, on my voicemail, to let me know that it wasn't successful. And I I just, I think you know in your gut, I, I, the quality of care and, you know, with how sensitive it was, you know, of a process and emotional process that it is, I just didn't feel like I was kind of getting that support that I was looking for from from that clinic. So we did look around and I found Shady Grove Fertility, which is who I ended up going with. I had a great experience with them. So I was really happy that I I kind of made that leap and, and moved to a different a different clinic to kind of start the more invasive procedures and, and start IVF. How many cycles did you guys end up doing before you became pregnant with you guys' daughter? We did one initial cycle and that yielded one abnormal embryo. So I, and, and, and when that happened, I was devastated because it, mm-hmm. in my mind, I was like, IVF is uh, such a sure thing. Again, so naive. <laughs> I say that. <laughs> I, I say that now, but then I thought, okay, like, I'll do one round of IVF and it'll be fine and we'll get a baby. And and then when I got that phone call that, you know, we only had one embryo and then when that embryo was sent and it was severely chromosomally abnormal, it, it was heartbreaking. I just, it was, it was devastating. So then we kind of reassessed again. Should we through this again? What should, you know, path to parenthood be? Like, is this the right move? Will this happen for us? And then we did pursue um, a second round with Shady Grove, our, our RE was hopeful. And I think that's what our first clinic was kind of lacking. I needed my doctor to have the hope that I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. have all the time. Mm-hmm. I needed kind of a team behind me to, to champion yeah. and push. And, yeah. and I, I needed that, like me as a person. And that is what I found um, when I did go to Shady Grove. My doctor, Dr. Wynn, she was just very hopeful and very innovative in what she was willing to try with me. I did estrogen priming and she had some tricks up her sleeve that we hadn't tried before um, as far as protocol. Did a second round and again, we got one embryo, which I thought, oh my gosh, this is happening again. (laughs) You know, instead of being thankful, I was like, this is happening again. This is going to be abnormal and and we're going to be in the same the same boat. And, and she did have a conversation with me, you know, she was very frank that, you know, if, if this happens again, like we may need to talk about egg donation or embryo Mm -hmm. donation, and Mm -hmm. and we may need to talk about, you know, some other options and what, what it could possibly look like. So we sent the embryo for PGS testing and it came back normal. Still remember the day that I remember exactly where I was when I got that phone call Right. The street I was on. I remember her. Well, I remember everything about that phone call. It's like replaying in your mind, right? That's how I see it in my head, like a movie playing back when you think about it, right? Yes. And, and I know that's not PGS normal embryo isn't a guarantee at all, but it was one more hurdle toward that we hadn't gotten to before. So that hope, that hope that you needed to carry you on through the yeah. remainder of the cycle. I get it. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, 
we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I just needed something to hang on to, and that was, you know, one more, one more step toward a possible baby, you know. So we ended up, we transferred that embryo in April. I was so nervous. I did all the things. <laughs> the French fry. Like I did all the things. I the all the good the pineapple, the good all the all the things. Yes. Just, you know, in hopes that it would work. Did she did put me on I had never been pregnant before. So we really didn't know how my body would respond. Like we didn't know if I had any type of immune issues that just, you know, weren't coming through with the blood work. Like we didn't, we didn't know how my body would respond to pregnancy. So I did end up taking uh, prednisone and Lovenox and uh, kind of the, the kitchen uh, sink. The cocktail. Protocol. Because <laughs> we had just one embryo to work with. So we kind of put everything. it all out there yeah. um, just to see what would happen. Mm-hmm. I got, you know, my calendar and right around Mother's Day was when I was to have my first, my beta. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is either going to be the worst day of my life as it has, you know, Mother's Day is always a hard, had always been a hard day, you know, since we were, we're kind of struggling uh, with infertility. So I already wasn't, you know, really looking forward to it. But then when I found out my beta was going to be <laughs> right around there, I was, I was worried. I did test them the morning of my beta. And uh, I did because, you know, for my IUIs, I, I always had the clinic call. I never tested. And I just thought, you know, if it's a part of the process that maybe I could feel a little bit more control over, maybe that would help me a little bit. I, I don't know. <laughs> That's what I was thinking when I, um, and it, it was positive to my absolute shock. <laughs> it was What positive. did you do? What did you do? I, I need the details. I was so shocked. So my husband, I was like, said I wasn't going to test or I would wait for him to be there for me when I tested. And, and this was totally out of the blue. I was just like, you know what? I need to know. I'm just going to do it. He wasn't home at the time. I just did it. And, you know, to my surprise, it was positive. And I was able to have a little bit of a surprise him in sort of a more typical way. Not that he didn't know that it could be a possibility. It wasn't totally spontaneous, but it was kind of nice. I I wrapped it up and I (laughs) gave it to him when he came home. And, you know, it was a little bit of normalcy in such a clinical process. I totally get that. And I'm so glad that you were able to do that because a lot of us don't get the opportunity. You know, we're waiting around with our spouses or just having the beta just takes the thrill out of it all. So I'm so glad that you guys were still able to do that. And so now that you're pregnant, did you have a ton of anxieties like most of us in the early parts of your pregnancy or throughout the entire pregnancy? Uh, I had a ton of anxiety by pregnancy. I'm, I would describe myself as an anxious person. <laughs> to begin with. ton of anxiety around, you know, if the pregnancy was going to last, what was going to happen. And then as I progressed later in my pregnancy, I was, I was worried about everything. I, so I don't know that I fully got to soak in the joy of that pregnancy because I just was so focused on keeping it. I get it. 
So how old was your daughter when you guys started trying again for sibling? Started trying, I March 2021 is when we started to pursue our our second our third round for our second baby. And then we we made out a lot better on that round for whatever reason. And I always laugh because I didn't do any kind of diets. I you know, I had a toddler. Mm-hmm. Running around, being busy. Yeah, yeah a, a little bit over a year. You know, I just didn't have time to do those things. So I didn't do the diets. I was heavier than I was. I never really lost the baby weight from the first baby. Yeah. Um, I wasn't I wasn't working out. I was doing all quote unquote wrong things. I, I was going to acupuncture with my first baby, um, you know, dur- before, during, and after. I, you know... And I didn't do any of that. And I I got two embryos that came back uh, chromosomally normal, which Wonderful. I was so thankful for. Right. And then we we transferred in May 2021. We transferred and I found out that that transfer took as well. And I became pregnant with my second daughter. Surreal. Very surreal moments. Very surreal moments. Did you test again on beta day? I did. <laughs> I actually tested before beta day. I tested on like day four or five past transfer and I was getting a, a really faint. Actually, the first test I took, I, I said to my husband, I'm like, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't see anything here. And then mm-hmm. a couple of minutes later, I looked again and I saw the, just the faintest line and I was like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, I, I think it might have worked. OMG. <laughs> you know, cautiously <laughs> optimistic, but I, I think it might have worked. Yeah. So then I, of course, kept testing and watching, hoping that the line got darker as as we went on. And I ended up, you know, with it with a good solid beta that priest the way it was supposed to. And the rest was history. And and I I had her on uh, January thirty first of twenty twenty two. So she's yeah. about twelve weeks old. Oh yeah, so precious. That's all the pictures. So precious. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. 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 Wonderful. Wow. What a story. What a story. So you ha- you didn't have anyone else in your family who would have suffered then from infertility because I know sometimes these things can be, you know, genetic and all. You didn't have anybody else in your family who would ever went through this? I it's so funny you ask. My I'm an only child. My <laughs> my mom actually had endometriosis. So I was actually conceived which uh in the 1980s, which was with Clomid. My mom had to use some, some fertility treatments to conceive me, but I never had an endometriosis symptoms and ended up, you know, through testing and did not have endometriosis. It wasn't something I had symptoms for. Always something in the back of my mind, of course, but it wasn't, I didn't have any reason to believe that, you know, I wouldn't be able to conceive. I, I really was optimistic in the beginning because I, I she had like debilitating pain and, and different things that she went through with women do who suffer with endometriosis. Um, and I didn't have that. And I had normal periods. I, so that was like my only, you know, kind of genetically links or anything. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how are you moving through the lasting effects of the trauma of infertility. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know it's a loaded, loaded question. <laughs> it, it is a loaded question. And, and I, I was just saying this to my husband. I had a C-section with my first daughter and it was a four day long induction that ended up 
quote unquote failing and ended in a C-section. And I had a C-section then for my second daughter as well, a repeat C-section. And it wasn't really until I was on that table that I was really, you know, kind of, <laughs> everything was kind of going by in a flash. Coming up and, for you. And, yeah. and it was, I, I really realized just how traumatic, like, all of this has been. And I don't think I really let myself, I was just going from cycle to cycle to cycle. And I was so in it that I don't think I ever really sat back to be like, wow, this is, this is a lot. <laughs> so did you have a lot of like postpartum emotional things going on with both of the girls or what if your oldest? As far as uh, just with dealing with um, postpartum and some of the feelings that were arising because of infertility and yeah, stuff. Yeah, surprisingly, um, I did not have uh, postpartum depression or anxiety. I mean, b- besides what I kind of normally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how I normally function. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I, I it was weird, though. Um, there was a unique element because my first daughter was born in the height of the pandemic. Um, a couple months later, the world shut down. She was born right. December 31st. 2019 and and then the world kind of shut down in March um so that was definitely you know different I was I was you know obviously so concerned that you know we were going to contract COVID and I would bring it home and you know what I had worked so hard for was going to get stolen from me again um you know and it, it was definitely it was definitely interesting and I definitely think I dealt with some you know some things that I'm sure um, maybe people who just have normal um, conceptions and normal, pre- mm-hmm. and I say normal, yeah. atypical Typical, uh, pregnancies yeah, and sure. conceptions um, yeah. go through. I think I definitely had a, a little bit of a heightened, <laughs> a heightened sense of, of you know, yeah. anxiety as oh, far yeah. as that, that yeah. went. For our friends listening who may be dealing with OMH or diminished ovarian reserve, if there's a last word that you would have for them to encourage and give them a little piece of hope, slice of hope. I wish I could come up with something <laughs> packed with wisdom because it was just, it, it was so hard and, and, and there is no real sugarcoating that. And during that time when I was struggling, I did seek out the help of a counselor. I did talk to someone who dealt with um, specialized in infertility. And I think that was really helpful. I got connected with our wonderful infertility community, which has been just such a support. So I found other people like me who have had success and got gotten to the other side, so to speak. So I think seeing those stories of hope is really what I do because my AMH was very, very low. I, you know, I, there was, I heard all the time that it might not happen for me. So I think holding on to those little pieces of hope and, and reaching out for that support was just critical for me. I love that, that you reminded everyone to do those things for themselves. And it's definitely a selfish thing to do because, of course, you want to include your spouse, but sometimes you have to get the help you need without them. And they're not ready, especially if you're with a hetero cis man. <laughs> they're very freaking stubborn, you guys, okay? <laughs> Ugh. Yes. Trying to break through that wall, okay? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> OMG. So tell us where we can find you online, my dear. I am at the Elusive Egg. Hope that I could be the light and the support that I, I received in, in my in my time of need. I hope that I could be that for someone else. So you guys make sure that you're following Amanda, that you connect with her, okay? And make sure that you also follow Infertility and Me podcast, okay? 
so we can stay up to date with one another. And you can tag me in all your fantastic posts if you want me to see your update. But Amanda, thank you, my dear, so much for speaking to us about diminished ovarian reserve, also known as, okay? We need more stories like this. Uh, a lot of women are very afraid to talk about having low quality eggs and or uh, low egg count. And it's just a reality we have to deal with, you guys. There's no shame in that. That's what Amanda's been saying this whole time. Just go with it the way you can. There's no shame in it. Somebody else is also dealing with or have dealt with what you've been through. And she's here. So take advantage, you guys. Okay? Connect with Amanda online. And we'll, yeah, you'll be listening back on the next episode, you guys. Peace and blessings. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.